Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10, and last Sunday we finished up on Daniel's 70 weeks, chapter 9, a very packed chapter for Daniel. Uh, I went through, two Sundays ago, we went through the whole chapter, and then uh, last Sunday we kind of pinpointed in, zoomed in on, I believe, chapters, verses 23 through 27, where really, I mean, it's good for us to know. I mean, when you're dealing with whether somebody who you love who's Jewish and doesn't know their Messiah, this is it. This is in your Old Testament, Masoretic text, Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, Septuagint. Daniel's been in there for a very long time, and he's specifically in there to give the Jewish people encouragement that their Messiah would come. And basically, Daniel pinpoints literally the day that the Messiah would come for his people. So that was really a blessing. Today we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10. It's titled Spiritual Warfare and You. Sounds like a public service announcement. Cholesterol and you, you know what I'm saying? But basically, you know, people have this question, what is spiritual warfare? Should we believe in angels and demons? We know that the Pharisees believed in angels and demons, but the Sadducees didn't. They didn't believe in a lot of things, the resurrection and such. So there's so many sects out there. What do we know? What should we believe? How does spiritual warfare affect me? Does it affect me? And I think that, you know, today it's going to be fun because we're going to peel back the curtain of our atomic world. You know, you look at, well, you can't see the air, but there's atoms in the air. There's in that wood above and there's concrete below in our skin. And, you know, the only thing that's different between us and the surrounding environment is that God has put a spirit inside of us. But what we're going to do this morning is we're going to peel back the curtain of really, I, I, I submit to you, the facade world that we live in. You know, we think, we breathe, there, I think therefore I am. But the truth is there's so much more. We're, this is just a temporary creation that's going to dissipate. So I want to encourage you to look forward to the goal where you'll be spending your existence throughout eternity, and that's in the spiritual realm. And we'll also see how God communicates with us today. So we're going to jump in in Daniel chapter 10, starting with verse 1. It says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long. And he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, on the 24th day of the first month, I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, which, if you know geography, Tigris in the Euphrates, um, you know, Mesopotamia, Babylon, we talked about all this historical stuff that Daniel really covers. So Daniel is speaking of himself really in the third person, and he uses Babylonian name uh, Belteshazzar. My guess is that he's, this is an official document, and that he wants to, it's almost, I guess, a, a form of evangelism. He's making sure that this is a, a record of the, of the kingdom, and that people can read it, and they can you know, seek this stuff out on their own, just like we would evangelize today using different methods. But in verse 1, he says, the message was true, but the appointed time was long. Now that can also be translated that the appointed time 
was of great conflict. That's important. Daniel's disturbed by a few things. You know, as we go through this, this book, as time goes on, there's more visions and more revelation, and, and some things in the future, quite frankly, are pretty scary to him and scary regarding his people, the Jews. So a few things. Let's look at five things. In the short term, number one, there was a concern as you go through the Old Testament books that deal with the Jews and Persia and going back home to Jerusalem, that there was a, a lack of motivation for many of the Jews to return to their homeland. You know, it's equally disturbing actually to see apathy in the church. I mean, this is a temporary dwelling. And my job this morning is to express to you that what we are existing in now is only going to last so long. If you're lucky, maybe 80, 90 years, but that's it. When you compare that to the thousands of years that mankind's been around and the, the eons that you can't number in eternity, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's not even a, a breath. It's just a, a, a smidgen of time, so to speak. Two, many of the Jews became comfortable in pagan Babylon. That was, that was disturbing too. Um, and it's, again, equally disturbing when Christians are very comfortable in hedonistic culture. It's about the flesh. It's about sensation. It's about my enjoyment, my happiness. Happiness can be a trap. Sometimes it's a, it's a hole that just keeps going. There's no bottom to it. To pursue happiness, or do we pursue contentment and joy according to what God says in his word? In the longer term, the visions portray a difficult time for his people, the Jews, over the years. This is a long struggle. In Psalm 119, 136, the psalmist says, I love this, rivers of tears run down from my eyes because people don't keep your law. That's powerful. I submit to you that Daniel was an intercessor. Amazing how he cared about so many of his people that maybe many of them he didn't even know. But he was called to intercede for his people. And this psalmist, it's a parallel thought here. And it's even sad today in Christianity when you look out and what the church is supposed to be according to the New Testament or the, the aggregate church. Um, and that's the, another concern that, well, people aren't, they're not, not that we have to keep the law, but if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, there should be spiritual fruit, right? So sometimes it's disturbing to see trends in the church that make the world look at us and go, yeah, really? I don't think I would want a part of that. And, and again, I speak about the aggregate church, maybe the Western church. Lastly, for Daniel himself, 4 and 5, 4, he had an uneasiness with the visions, right? We can look back and go, oh, yeah, I read the Bible. You know, there's Gabriel and Michael and angels and demons. Daniel didn't have the New Testament. Daniel didn't have the Old Testament re revealed in the New Testament. So this stuff was pretty scary. And I submit to you, Daniel was not a wimp. Daniel was a sturdy guy, and this stuff still bothered him. Number five, he wanted to know and understand God's visions more. And my question, again, if I'm not making an application to today, we're wasting our time here this morning. Do we want to know God's word? When we read something that we have difficulty with, do we look for the answer, ask somebody? Or do we hear a, a tough message and go, man, I really didn't understand that. Eh, I'm going to go home and post something on Facebook. I take a selfie or something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what's more important? That stuff is fleeting. In two years, it'll be something else that everybody's doing. But the Bible lasts forever. This book has lasted for some 25, 2,600 years, Daniel, and still applicable to today. It tells us things that are going to happen in our future. So Daniel fasted. He mourned. No, no doubt he prayed some more. 
Here's my question. Where are the Daniels of today? Where are the intercessors? It saddens me because we live in a culture that's so self-centered. You know, it's, we're just, even as Christians, we, we have to realize that we get soiled from the culture. We get dirty spiritually. And we have to realize that we are somehow influenced by the culture that we're in in American culture. It's not good. Because an intercessor puts themselves aside and seeks the good of others outside of themselves. I just was listening to, it was secular, and I'm listening to talk radio, and it's about this psychologist who's done all this research, and she found that people who are thankful and, and focus on others, and there's this whole physiological thing with the brain and the neurons and the pathways that when we're, we look to others and stop looking at ourselves and when we're grateful about little things, it just makes us content. And I'm, I'm in the car, and I'm screaming. I'm hysterical. I'm like, this is so awesome. I'm going to use this in a message. I forgot the lady's name, but she wrote a book on it. And then she actually went to marriage counselors that she knew and gave them the information. They said, we could use this. So intercession, it's needed. We're the interceders. Or is there anybody in this room that's called to intercede for our culture? Because i got news for you. If we look at Western culture and the Western church and trends in it, if we think everything's fine, we're not in our word. And we're not listening when we're praying to God. We're not stopping and trying to hear what he's saying to us through those moments of prayer. Will you be the one to intercede for our nation, for our faith? Will you be another Daniel? Ladies, will you be another Danielle? I know we have at least one Danielle here, so <laughs> whatever. Male, female, young, old, teens, kids, five years, whatever. Whoever is listening to this. Will you be the next intercessor? Because at the end of the book, I'm going to ask, so you have time, you have a few more chapters. And part of the application at the end is going to be, so what did God show you through the book of Daniel? Um, um, I know it's been a few months, <laughs> so what, what do we learn? You know, remember, Daniel was somebody who didn't just get the visions and get the word. He wanted to know, God, what are you saying to me? And it's funny because you look at the Apostle John in Revelation, very similar books, and Daniel, and Daniel asked a lot of questions, and John asked a lot of questions. They want to know, are we cultural Christians, or do we really have a relationship with the Lord? Because if we want God, if we have a relationship with the Lord, then we want to know God's heart. We want to know what he wants, what he desires for us, what his uh, calling for us is. That's what we want to know. I'll just touch on fasting real quick. You see this often with Daniel. Um, actually, I wouldn't say, I mean, every time we go into another chapter, like sometimes 10 years have passed, 20 years have passed. But Daniel, he fasted. And what is fasting? Well, basically, if you could boil it down, it's really de denying the, the flesh or denying self. And denying with the purpose, not just to deny. I want to deny myself. And there's some cultish teachings where we were in Christianity it's very weird where people abuse their bodies because they think it's a good thing no that's not what fasting is it's denying the flesh with purpose to receive from the spirit and as we look in the Bible there's been times where men and women of God have fasted from food from drink different foods different drink all nothing uh, delicacies desserts the Apostle Paul as he's speaking about marital relationships sometimes uh, sexual activity in a marital relationship. Now, these are anything that can satisfy the flesh. And they're not bad things. 
These are not bad things, the things I've named, but it's a, a temporary attempt to starve the flesh but feed the spiritual. Right? To have that acumen, to, to be able to apply the things that God shows us to our lives, to learn, to come to a greater understanding. And sometimes our flesh is in the way. You ever pray? I don't know, maybe it's in the morning, you didn't eat breakfast yet, and your stomach is rumbling. It's almost like somebody's annoying you. It's loud, it's obnoxious, it causes pain, and you're trying to pray. <laughs> Anything can happen. There can be any type of distraction. Because the flesh is saying, take care of me. You know, when we're born again, we're born again of the Spirit, but we're still stuck with this flesh. That's why Christians, when they die, they're dead as far as their physical body, but the Spirit goes to be with the Lord because we're still trapped in these physical, fleshly, fallen bodies because we die. That means they are fallen. And the design was for them to carry our spirit throughout this, this world that we're temporarily passing through. So there's times that we have to deny our flesh if we really want to hear from God. Now, in Christianity, some are always fasting. And sometimes when we take anything and do it so often, it becomes a ritual and it loses its meaning. Sometimes that can happen. You know, we don't want to turn fasting into another meaningless ritual. Others in Christianity never fast. They never deny themselves anything. Remember, we live in a very self-indulgent culture, and that stuff infects and creeps into the church to different degrees. I believe that as a nation and as, a, as people of God, and you may turn on the TV and you may be drawn away from this teaching, our pastors and elders here, because we preach what the Bible says, and you might be drawn to TV preachers because they're going to tell you everything's just fine. And they did in the time of Jeremiah too. Just remember that. The ones on TV that don't tell you to deny yourself, that don't tell you to, to sacrifice, that they, you just need to be happy all the time. You need to demand all these things from God. They did that in Jeremiah's time. And Jeremiah had a hard time competing with the false prophets because they tickled the ears of the leaders, so they beat up Jeremiah, threw him in a cistern, and treated him pretty badly. That's what the Bible says. So, you know, it's not good out there. Verse 5. He says, I lifted my eyes and, be, and looked, and behold, a certain man... Now remember, Daniel is describing what he sees in the vision. It looks like a man... We'll, we'll continue. Clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Euphaz, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the m voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves." Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. So Daniel has an experience. He sees this heavenly messenger. But who is it? Turn with me to Revelation 1, starting with verse 12. A lot of similarities here. The Apostle John says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, again, he's doing his best to describe what he's seeing, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, 
as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he said, or he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. Pretty powerful. Now, if we take these two visions together, we look and we see a lot of similarities. So, white linen, purity, holiness. Now, this, you know, you can hear different teachings and they can elaborate more. I'm just going to give you a basic general of what the symbolism is because it keeps coming up. Two, gold waistband, royalty, a body of beryl, awe-inspiring, deity, face like lightning and eyes of fire. He has the ability to purify. Bronze limbs, judgment, voice like the multitudes, power and omnipotence. You know, one of my favorite, I guess, movie voices is James Earl Jones. He's got that deep, booming voice, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but this is going to be so more moving than Mr. Jones's voice. But continuing on, Daniel seems to have experienced, in my opinion, the pre-incarnate Christ or what we would call a Christophany. This is a special occasion where Christ appears prior to his incarnation in the first century. So in the Old Testament, you see this. Um, before the Battle of Jericho, Joshua runs into a person, and I'll read that briefly, Joshua 5, 13 through 15. And many Bible teachers believe this is also a Christophany. Verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man again in his estimation, stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. Now Joshua is a military leader. You know, what's going on here? You know, you, are you with us or against us? And he says, are you for us or for our, our adversaries? So he said no. He didn't answer his question. I'm not, gonna, not for, this is God. God answers the, the questions. God's the one who, who dictates to us what we'll do. So he says no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped, you don't worship angels, and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. He obeyed. So <clears throat> this is the ultimate boost when we're serving the Lord and we're tapped and we're exhausted and we're tired and we're scared and we're questioning and all of a sudden God comes and he ministers to us and that's a beautiful thing and I submit to you that if you're serving the Lord you know he'll come and he'll minister to you if he's in it he'll refresh you doesn't mean that your job is going to be easy but it means that he will come and refresh you now there's another word theophany and I'll just give you these words um, a lot of these come from Greek uh, and they're basically in English they're composite words so a theophany if you ever hear that expression it's basically the appearance of God in what seems to be human form again it was a type in the Old Testament of the incarnation of Jesus Christ where he came as God and took the form of a man okay so we need to understand these things when people say well he was just a man that's problematic um, we look at uh, Micah and it speaks about his eternality this is before he came and took the form. There was a reason why he came and took the form of a man. So we need to understand our terms. We need to understand a little bit of theology because then we won't be pulled away by cultish teachings. And they're very slick. They use a lot of truth and a little bit of lies to poison the well. So just keep that in mind. I just have to comment on Daniel's friends. Uh, Daniel, 
you know, sees what's going on. The friends have some type of experience, but uh, they don't see everything that Daniel sees. They were terrified and they fled. And I think that's funny because Daniel, he's got a group of friends, and when trouble comes, they all beat feet and leave Daniel by himself. So um, just a little humor there. Acts 9, we see this with the Apostle Paul when he's on the road to Damascus to destroy the Christians. He's met by Jesus Christ, and the men around him stand speechless. They didn't get everything that Paul got, but Paul got this commission. Christ is like, why are you doing this to me? He's like, who are you, Lord? I'm Christ. You're persecuting me. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> Knock it off. That's my, that's my translation. And Paul gets saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul is pretty impressive. Verse 10, then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourselves, yourself before your God. Your words were heard. Your prayers were heard, Daniel. And I have come because of your words. I come, this figure says, this heavenly messenger with the message from God. Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia, the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Here's where we get into spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare in you? How does that affect me? What does it mean? Really, like my life um, has to do sometimes with angels and demons and heavenly beings and God and wow, gee, I thought I just was a person walking through life. Honestly, if you're here and you don't know the Lord and somebody brought you, some may be praying for you that through the word that you're convinced that God reaches your heart. You're in the middle of the battle. Satan is trying to continue to blind you and the forces of God are trying to pull you into their camp. Not that God can't do it, but remember, he's also given us free will. You know, but he does it. It's, it's amazing how it works with his sovereignty. It's a work of regeneration, Romans ten seventeen through the word. So, you know, when, whenever I do an altar call, and I know it happened with me 20-something years ago. I still remember it like it was yesterday. I mean, I remember what I was wearing. I remember where I was and what part of the stage. I w- it was just such a memory that I'll never forget when I came up to receive the Lord. But I remember my mind was going back and forth, and I want to get up, but no, that's, you know, the forces of evil were trying to hold me back. But eventually God broke free, and I just went up and received the Lord, and I never looked back. That's why I really question people who say that, you hear this in Christianity and they go back to, I don't know, something weird or some religion. How do you taste of the good fruit of Jesus Christ and go back to anything? That's like tasting fresh fruit and putting it aside to go dumpster diving. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I know what the dumpster was of my former life. I certainly don't want to go back. It's smelly. It's dirty. It makes you sick when you eat it. I'll taste, keep the good fruit of Jesus Christ. But you have this situation with spiritual warfare. Okay. This is where we make the dichotomy. Verses 5 through 9, I believe uh, Daniel sees the vision of Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. But then he gets a touch from somebody else. Why? Because if you follow this logically, this this couldn't be Christ. Because he says, I'm struggling with this prince of Persia, which was really a demonic force. 
and he needs help from Michael the archangel. Now, Christ had a hand in, in, in creating Michael, right? The angels are created beings. Lucifer is a created being. So Christ, the one who created him, why would he need help? Because the demons are attacking him. makes no sense. If you read the Gospels with a word, with a look, he was able to uh, deal with these demonic beings and have them be cast out of a person. So why would Jesus need help from a good angel? makes no sense. Now, this is where, again, you have these spurious teachings. In Mormonism, there's a, there's a teaching that uh, Jesus Christ and Lucifer were spirit brothers. Okay, this is wrong, by the way, so just make that disclaimer. And they both had a plan of salvation to God, the Father, and God liked Jesus' plan. It was better than Lucifer's plan, so Lucifer got mad and he starts trouble, and that's weird. Jesus is not a created being. Lucifer is an angel. Christ is, is God. And he came in the first century in the flesh. So when you, if you start getting confused because of spurious teachings, it's going to throw off your whole outlook on what you see in the scripture. All right? So again, 5 to 9, vision of Christ. Um, uh, 10 through 14, this is Gabriel. Now remember, if you're following with us through this book, in chapters 8 and 9, Gabriel was the tour guide. Gabriel's taking Daniel through this guided tour of the afterlife, of of spiritual realm. Right? Just like in Revelation, John gets a tour from an angel, doesn't say who he is. So now we have Gabriel dealing with Daniel. The prince of uh, Persia and the prince of Greece, fallen angels, they're demons. And demons try to claim territory, geography. They also try to claim inhabit people. you know, keep them from God, keep them from salvation. If we could put up the first image, this one really was uh, pretty impressive to me because if you stare at it for a while and somebody said to me, the good angels are upside down. I love this print because it shows that, you know, what is upside down? Upside down has to do with gravity. That's the world that we live in. And this is the mistake we made. When we look at our lives and our world and try to superimpose it onto the spiritual realm, it never works. It gets very confusing. This I found fascinating. I don't know who the mind of the person that created this, but there is no upside down. There's just constant epic battle from the time that the angels, Lucifer and his cohorts, the third, were thrown down, uh, kicked out of heaven, and there's this constant war between good and evil. So... Remember, Lucifer, Satan, is an archangel. It means he's like a general. And Michael is also an archangel. And you see a lot of this debating and fighting between Michael and, and Satan. And we'll read some of that. Pretty wild stuff, isn't it? So, we're going to go into, jump into Revelation 12. A little bit more Revelation. And we see a little bit um, of this epic battle. If we could put up that image, the second one. It says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, which is Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. In uh, Luke 10.18, Jesus says to his disciples, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. You know, the, the, the disciples can't believe that through Christ they're able to call out demons. And 
Jesus is saying to them, well, listen, I, I, I was there when Satan was kicked out. You know, me and the Father just gave him the boot, told him, get out. You're, you're, you're unholy, you're unclean, you're evil. So he got kicked out and he fell like lightning to the earth. I mean, little sound effects there, but it's pretty impressive. But he says to his disciples, remember, just be fortunate, be blessed to know that your names are written in the book of life. So this, this, let's put this all in perspective. Where are we going to go at the end? Certainly don't want to be in the lake of fire. Now I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to, to death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So this is an epic battle, but it's also going on as we speak. If you walk down a city street, imagine if God was able to, well, he is able, but imagine if he gave you the ability to see the spiritual world. How many people would be walking down the street maybe muttering and, and there's some type of demon on his back with their claws in his chest just constantly talking to him and controlling him. What about the, the other demons? You know, maybe there's some that are Christians that are trying to evangelize and there's a, a league of demons around them and there's very strong angels fighting them back because they know that evangelist is giving the word of God. So on any given day, on any given public place, if God was to pull the curtains back, you would see this. Actually, if we could go to uh, image three, and then I'm going to jump over to 2 Kings. Well, I'm, I'm just going to reference 2 Kings. But basically, if you remember the story of Elisha, when the, the king of Syria was very ticked off at him, and he sends these, uh, this army to surround Elisha as he's doing his ministry, and the, his assistant is panicking about this kind of stuff. He's saying, wow, look at all these chariots and look at all these horses. Man, we're, and I'm paraphrasing, we're in a lot of trouble. So Elisha prays to God and he says, open his eyes so he can see things as they really are. So here you have the literal horses and chariots and the Syrians surrounding Elisha in, in his little village. And Elisha calls out to God and says, open his eyes. And here he's able to see for a glimpse. Now Elisha knew it by faith. But his assistant wasn't there yet, right? He's still working on him. And he opens it up and he sees all these chariots and horses of fire surrounding the Syrian army. And God made light work of those Syrians. Elisha was an incredible man of faith. He knew of the spiritual realm. He knew of the warfare. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Let's go to Ephesians 6, verse 10. I'm just trying to take all these to reinforce, do an investigation, right? <laughs> and we're trying to reinforce this whole idea of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.10, the Apostle Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And that's the temptation, to get irritated with people. Don't, don't think I don't succumb to that, Okay. Listen, people can irritate us. They really can. But if they're antagonistic, if they're antagonistic to the faith, there's something that's driving them. 
And they need to be freed from that prison. We need to be praying for those. Pray for your enemies. Not that so, so much that well, we, so we don't have any problems in life, but for them to be saved. If we're really walking strong with the Lord and they are our enemies, then it stands to reason that it's probably that your faith that they have a problem with. But we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And then he goes over these pieces of armor that we went through in Ephesians that weren't literal. They were spiritual pieces of armor. And the Apostle Paul is comparing a soldier going to battle with the, with the right equipment, temporal equipment, and us going to battle spiritually with the right spiritual equipment. If we can continue on to 2 Corinthians 10.3. 2 Corinthians 10.3. Very similar. The Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, right? Flesh and blood, right? Air, sidewalk, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or earthly or literal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. And we covered this in, in Corinthians. And in Matthew 17, last one, 19 through 21. So the disciples are having a bad day. They can't, they can't cast out this particular demon. So Jesus now has a little debriefing with them, and he starts telling them what their issue was. You know, the, the disciples, they, they got a little, like we would, they got a little full of themselves. And then they were like, you know, ready to cast out these demons, and sometimes they couldn't do it. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, of course they wouldn't do it publicly because it was embarrassing. You can even see the nuances of human nature in, in the Gospels. I mean, this is so pure. Why could we not cast him out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Maybe they relied a little bit too much on themselves and their voice about casting out the demon and their, you know, whatever they were doing. And Jesus said, it's because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed and you say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, this type of demon, must have been a pretty powerful one, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Wow. I don't know about you, but this, this stuff is wild, right? It's, it's good stuff. So if we could put the first image back up, I want to read... Timing is amazing. Um, I got a, a book from Pastor Vinny. It's called Agents of Babylon by Dr. David Jeremiah. And I want to read an excerpt because I think he does a great job. Now remember, this is his impression. It's almost like a movie. It's his impression about how things are going. So indulge me for about a minute or two to read this. Page 284. Through the network of angelic intelligence he had established, Michael knew trouble was brewing in the Middle East in the nations surrounding Israel, and he knew why. The demonic powers of the air had their own intelligence network, and they knew the Jews were planning to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. This would undo everything Satan and his demons had accomplished through their influence over King Nebuchadnezzar in the beginning. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar gets saved later on. 
They knew that if they allowed the Jews to revive as a nation of God-worshipping people, the pathway to the coming of the Messiah would be opened. My God would do, or excuse me, he says, as Michael neared the region of the earth's sun, a lesser angel suddenly appeared and intercepted him. Michael stopped and greeted the courier. Ariel, what brings you here? Great prince, I have a message from our Lord, Ariel replied. He bids you to delay your assignment in Greece and fly immediately to the Persian border where Gabriel is battling with the prince of that nation. He is charged to deliver a crucial message to God's servant Daniel, and he can't get through. You must join him in the battle, hold back the Persian demons, and allow Gabriel to proceed to Babylon. Without a moment's hesitation, (laughs) Michael changed his course and shot towards Persia. Breaking through the earth's atmosphere, he approached the nation's borders. Immediately he saw flashes of light and heard thunderous clashes from the raging angelic battle. Gabriel felt the wind of Michael's appearance and saw a shadow of fear cross the face of the three demons that were fighting him. Suddenly, the great Michael was beside him. Gabriel felt new strength surge through his entire being. Help had come at last, and not just any help. Michael was the mightiest of God's angels, the one who had led heaven's armies against the rebellious Satan, the one who, in a titanic duel, had personally hurled the rebel leader out of the heavenly realms. The story of this great feat was often told among the angels. Michael drew his sword as fiery as the one held by the angel in Eden and engaged in the battle. The three demons couldn't withstand the onslaught and stumbled backward under every blow the two mighty angels inflicted. In moments they had driven the demons apart, opening a gap between them and two Persia. It was all they needed. Go on through, Gabriel, Michael cried. Fly on to Daniel and complete the Lord's mission. These fiends will not follow you. I'll hold them here until you return. Gabriel did as the great archangel bid him. He burst through the opening and flew directly to Daniel in Babylon. Guy can write. (laughs) It's pretty cool, isn't it? Okay. Listen, nations have changed for the good because of prayer. Remember, spiritual warfare. We could be praying for something, and God dispatches an angelic angelic being to work that out. Right? There could be many people praying for their nation. You know, could you imagine the epic battle that's going on for the United States? Look around. Read the paper. This is crazy, what's going on in our country. We have so much technology and so much at our fingertips and biotechnology, and, and people are miserable. You know, people are, are depressed. They're hurting. They're struggling. They're, they're oppressed. There is a a great battle for this country, and I think Satan, if not himself, has his top people in this country. We need to be getting together as a church and praying, and praying, and continue to pray for revival. Now, there's other countries. I've mentioned Iran, the old Persian kingdom, who was so favorable to the Jews and Christians until 1979, the Islamic Revolution, and everything changed. Listen, we don't hear about it that much because we're trying to work out some deal with them with nuclear uh, technology. But the way they treat women, the way they treat people in general that don't agree with what they're doing, some of the testimonies of people that have escaped Iran, it's a horrible place. China, under the communist revolution. There were uh, Watchmen Nee. There were some very famous uh, Christians who were missionaries there praying for China, and then when the, whenever there's a communist revolution, millions of people die. It's just the way it is. They sanitize it in our history book and say it's no big deal. But communism, 
your, your allegiance has to be to the state, not some risen savior. That's very clear in their bylaws. Um, and, and a lot of evangelists stayed in China knowing that they were going to be killed, and they were killed. But they stayed till the very end because they loved the Chinese people for the Lord. North Korea, you know, cannibalism is taking place there. Some of the North Koreans are, turn, are, are, are crossing the Tumen River into China to get a reprieve, to get Bibles, believe it or not, going back and saying, I have to go back to North Korea. Why? It's so dangerous there. Because people need to hear the gospel. It's amazing. They're risking their lives to go back into North Korea to give the gospel. My question is, will you intercede for this nation? You know, I pray for revival. I'm only one person. Will we make a commitment to intercede for our country and for things and our persecuted brethren across the seas? Will we do that? You know, I saw a funny thing. It was a little kind of skit because people have this idea about God and how he should be doing all the work and, and everything's put on him. But, you know, we're the ones running the earth in a sense. It was, a, it was Jesus Christ on a park bench and a man sitting next to him. And he says to Jesus, well, tell me something. Why is there so much wars and poverty and hatred? And, and then Jesus lets him finish and he looks at him. He goes, I was going to ask you the same question. You know what I'm saying? You know, we have to stop with this, somebody else will do it. Or it's God's problem. Or it's my pastors, you know, they're, hey, they're the pastors. They're supposed to do this stuff. We can't get into this idea that church is it's a TV mentality where we watch stuff happen and we're spectators. We've got to be getting into the game. We've got to get into the battle. Otherwise, we're on the battlefield and we're getting in the way of other warriors. We're just walking around, hey, look, look at that. Wow, look at all those explosions. You know, what's it doesn't work. We've got to be a part of what's going on. There is spiritual warfare in the heavenlies. Now, let me just put a, put a little nuance on this. Remember, this is the Old Testament. What's changed since then and now? Well, we might not have angels flying back and forth to us every day. Now we have the Holy Spirit since Jesus Christ. So the communication is different. It's actually improved. It's better. And it's because of Christ and the new dispensation that came. So with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is awesome. Because God has kind of seated us with, a, with his divinity. He's given us all, sealed with the Holy Spirit if we're believers in Christ. So the Holy Spirit, is, is, he could be a P, a pawn, he could be para, next to us. You know, he can be N, in us. And, and Jesus said, ask as much as the Holy Spirit that you ask for, a Father will give you. And his primary function is for us to have a commune with God to have this relationship. We don't have to wait for angels to fly back and forth. So uh, let me tell you something. You can't have an exhale of desperation without God knowing. You might be at home, you might be in your car, and you might, and I've seen people, they go, <sighs> they have nothing left. They don't even have the strength to tell somebody that they're struggling. You can't do that. Maybe everybody else won't see it, but God sees every exhale of desperation that you have. You know, the devil, the spiritual warfare is the lie that he's telling you that God doesn't care, that he's not close, that he's not, he doesn't hear your prayers. Those are all lies. God is right there. Verse 15. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly one having the likeness of the sons of men touched my lips. Remember Isaiah 6? That was pretty cool. Similar kind of picture here. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength.
For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. How does a true man or God represent himself or herself uh, when it comes to spiritual things? Let me just, and I couldn't help myself, all these problems that Daniel was having. I just want to go through a few of them. Verse 7, Daniel's friends beat feet. That's my expression. They took off. Verse 8, Daniel's strength failed, but his vigor turned to frailty. Verse 9, Daniel's face was to the ground. Verse 10, Daniel trembled on his hands and knees. Verse 11, Daniel stood trembling. Verse 15, Daniel became speechless. Verse 16, Daniel expresses being overwhelmed. Verse 17, Daniel said that no breath was left in him. Now, how does that compare with some of the stuff we see on TV? Some of these goofy, uh, extravagant, multi-million dollar, big star ministries where men and women boast of being the right hand of God, mini messiahs. Heck, one guy, pretty much he had all the spiritual gifts. He was the pastor, the bishop, the healer, the tongue speaker, the, uh, the, the prophet. I'm thinking, I've got to get him over here so I can sit back and relax. This guy does everything. You know what I'm saying? Some teachings are just spurious. Right? The true man or woman of God, again, Daniel was a sturdy guy. There's a humility when they're close to God. There's not an arrogance. And I think, sadly, lack of biblical understanding in the church fosters more of these charlatans, a proliferation of these obscenely wealthy, uh, glamorous charlatans. They mesmerize immature Christians and teach them to have an entitled attitude, which is the infection of our culture. Again, getting into the church, having these haughty attitudes about God that he owes us something, that we must demand it from him. That's not the God of the Bible. For Daniel, well, he probably had sensory overload, hyperstim, uh, vasovagal syncope, or whatever you want to call it. He had all these things happening to him at the same time. And again, he was a sturdy person. Last few verses. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to... Uh, when you, yeah, you know, you, do you know how, why I came to you? Now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed the prince of Greece will come. Remember, Persia and Greece at this time were battling. And so many soldiers were killed mercilessly on both sides because of the visceral hatred, the ethnic hatred that the Greeks and the Persians had for each other. It was a clash of cultures. If you study your history, you'll realize why they despised each other. And so many men and women were lost in these battles. And these two demons were controlling these nations to keep them hating each other. Hatred, racism, you know, all that kind of stuff is demonic. It, it's from the devil. To get people from the same family, the family of God, to destroy each other based on differences. But I tell you the truth, but I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince, also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. Remember, chapter delineations came later. So we, we get into the first verse of chapter 11, and then we'll talk about it uh, when we come back, what's happening in 11, how the vision becomes elaborated. But I think this is what the most important thing is. Spiritual warfare in you and me. 
probably will never have regular visits by angels. But if we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit. And our prayers, image four, make a difference in the spiritual realm. When we read the scripture, there's a picture of a, a guy sitting. He thinks he's by himself reading the Bible. And you see the angelic beings coming around him and guarding him. We don't know. We don't know. You don't know what mission God has for you. You could be here, you could be 12 years old, you could be 8 years old, you could be 90 years old, and God can still use you in a mighty way. He can use you to cast down arguments, to topple strongholds, to prepare hearts for salvation, to repair relationships, starting revivals, growing and maturing ourselves. I'll just give you a, a brief um, encounter that I had this week, and then we'll... It's so funny, because whenever I uh, teach something, it's almost like that week before... Or, God walks me through the message. So I'm thinking, it's coming. I'm teaching on spiritual warfare. Any second now, it's coming. <laughs> you know, stay in prayer, you know, stay in prayer. So I go to the store, and um, it's, it's a good store. And I don't want to go into detail, but I go every so often because I need to buy something from the store. And I'm there, and uh, the owner, he's, he's culturally Jewish, but he, in his own admission, he's not following it, and, you know, he's into all these other things. So... I'm talking to him, and there's some people in, in the waiting room, and he starts, starts with me. He knows I'm a pastor. He goes, so uh, intelligent design, huh? Well, what about the cervical neck spine? And like we go back and forth about biology and things like that. And he keeps keep pressing me. And I'm thinking to myself, here I am. I'm spending money in this guy's store, and he's insulting me. He's harassing me. <laughs> so, and I, I got to go home. I need to get home. I'm on a, a, a time thing. And he just keeps going. And people are starting to leave. They get their stuff and they go. And I'm actually thinking, oh, I know what this is about. All right, Lord, it's game time. Let's go. Give me the words. Let's do it. So everybody leaves and it's great. It's him and his father. And he starts talking about, and he's very smart, too smart for his own good. And, uh, aliens and, and, and the ziggurats and the Egyptian pyramids and the skulls that they found with the elongated craniums. And he's just going on and on because he doesn't want to believe in God. So he's d finally done. I said, are you finished? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so I said, I agree with everything you're saying. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, there's two ways that we can get knowledge. See, we can go to God. He's the, he's the eternal one. He's the supplier of all these things. We just worship him. In, in his time, we'll be successful. We'll learn. He'll give us wisdom. We need to stay close to him. Or we can go outside of God. And there's a lot of intelligence in the universe. There's demonic beings. They're very intelligent. They've won wars. They fought. Um, they can give certain things to men. You know, Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world uh, in the Gospels if he would just bow down and worship him because Satan has a limited amount of power here. So I said, you can go the route of Adam and Eve and get the knowledge and the wisdom and stuff outside of God. I said, you could build whatever you want, develop whatever you want, be as smart as anybody in the world, you just have to sell your soul to the devil and then eventually you die and you burn in the lake of fire. I said, that's the trade-off, you know what I'm saying? So, so it's funny. At the end, he's, he goes, that's interesting. I never thought of it like that. He goes, well, there's so, so many similarities. I said, of course there is. There's the, the name brand and then there's the knockoff brand. You see what I'm saying? And the name brand has, its, it has what you have and it's perfect and it's this and that. Not always in in shopping and stuff, but the knockoff brand, there's some flaws in it. Well, Satan's the knockoff brand. And his minions go around and whisper the same thing in people's ears all over the earth, and he tries to draw them towards himself. That's fascinating. 
So actually, I gave him my CD about Daniel 9, and he's, him and his father are going to listen to it. So there you go. But let me tell you something. I'm not better than anybody else here. You know what I did? I said, okay, I'll go, like Isaiah 6. Sure. God, God's like, can I count on you to get in the, in the field? Can, can you get off the bench? All right, Lord, I'm, I'm there. And I got home, and everything was good, and I dealt with everything. And I felt really good at the end of the day. But the thing is, the only difference between me and anybody else is I said, okay, I'll do it. Okay, I won't stop looking at my watch. I'll do this. At the end of the day, I paid $400 to get insulted. You know? <laughs> I got my product, but he took a CD and he listened to it. So there you go. <laughs> so here's the deal. God wants to use us. You know, there's plenty of Daniels and Daniels that can be used. Second Chronicles 69 still applies. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Are you loyal to the Lord? Well, now, now do it with your feet. Do it with your hands. Prove it. When God calls on you, will you step up to the challenge? Will you get off the bench? Right? We're either in the game, in the battlefield, or we're spectating, or we're getting in everybody else's way. There's a war going on for nations. Listen, this is, these are artist renditions, pictures, based on what they read in the scripture. True or not, I don't know. Did they get revelation? I don't know. But I do know that there is a spiritual battle. Whether we look in the Old Testament or the New Testament, there are angels, there are demons, there are heavenly beings. Right? In Revelation 4, we saw the throne room of God based on John's uh, understanding of it. And we are either a Christian in, in, in the war, in the battlefield, or we're not. And if we're not, we're in a prison of our own making. And we can leave that prison and get into the battlefield. It's a choice that we all make. If you don't know the Lord, Scripture says, don't be offended, that you're blind, maybe temporarily, you're deceived, you're bound in prison that you can't get out of because it's Satan's penitentiary. However, if you come to the Lord, if you allow the, the Lord and his word to move you, if you allow him to continue to do the work that he's trying to do in you, that you make a profession of faith, that you call on him as your trusted Lord and Savior, then you are released. God is the only one who can unlock that door and let you out. But it's got to be also an act of your will. Christ came to free you from that prison, so act on being drawn to Christ and get in the game. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.